Hello, everyone. This is Dark Journalist. Today, I have a special interview with reporter and documentary filmmaker Millie Weaver of Millennial Millie. Her powerful documentaries, Shadowgate 1 and 2, exposed big tech and government collusion on surveillance of the population and made her a target for intimidation and false arrest. Today, we'll find out her story goes even deeper with insider stories of Hollywood secret societies and intel accounts of secret UFO tech at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Please join us now. Millie, it's great to have you here. Now, not everyone knows that you actually have some deep experience in the entertainment field. Because, you know, I I was in Hollywood. Um, right, I, right. You know that, right? Like, totally. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't I know. How, how long were you there? My sister and I, um, well, I was born and raised in California. And my mom had gotten mixed up with some people in Hollywood, let's just say that just so happened, I unbeknownst to me, right? Because I was just like a dumb, naive teenage girl. But my mom was like wrapped up with these like, like literally like Hollywood Illuminati people. Oh, wow. And I was running around in Hollywood with my sister and we're like, we're going to be actors and singers and la la la, you know? <laughs> we we're just completely, everything would just fly over our heads. Oh, yeah. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I, so she had some very unusual connections. It sounds like. I mean, literally, like hanging hanging out with like the Judy Garland's family members and. Wow. Um, yeah. Some of this, some of this stuff, though, I don't know how like the public or the audience would take it. So I've been kind of hesitant to talk about, um, but I have somewhat talked about this stuff somewhat like my sister would go record as like a singer because she could imitate any voice so mm -hmm. they liked her for studio work so like she would go record in like dr dre's studio oh wow and and like because she could like imagine like a one of those vocal impersonation people that can impersonate voices she can do that for with singing so, oh wow so they would like have her record a song as Rihanna so that then they could record it and then pitch it to her and she could hear what it would sound like as her. Oh, or if they had some singers, some of these producers had singers that were like, they wanted them to be famous and in the, in the, you know, fame, but they had really not very good voices. She could mimic their style to then do the background vocals on their tracks. Does that That's make sense? That's great. Interesting. Right. Right. So, um, I didn't really know much about secret societies or organizations of that kind. And I was pretty oblivious. Um, but yeah, that's kind of their headquarters. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I found that out later on after the fact. Um, wow. and my sister started dating this, this guy who they were really serious. Um, and he, she was like, oh, do you want to come to church with me? I don't know if I should tell this story. He's like, she's like, he's, she's like, do you want to come to church with me? And he's like, 
no, I don't want to come to church with you. And so, so she kept hounding him. Do you want to come to church to me with me? Which is just a regular, like generic like, Christian church. Right. And he's like, okay, if you come to my church, I'll go to your church. And uh-huh. she's like, okay. <laughs> wow. So she takes him to, sorry, no, he took her first to his church, which she tells it as a story, almost like, like legally blonde would tell it, but she was, she was like, you know, he takes me to this church and it was really kind of weird because, you know, a lot of the people there were almost dressed up like just kind of dweeby or like gothic-y and I'm sitting there and they're almost like taking a, like a, a communion or a, or a mass, but like they, they have this stage and all of a sudden a big fat naked lady is up on the stage and she's like dancing around and they have this like guy dressed up like Jesus sitting in a throne or a chair. And he's this like fat naked ladies, like dancing all over him. It was just, she's like, it was really weird and creepy. What in the world? She's like, yeah, he was part of this like church called uh, Ordo Templi Orientalists. Oh, that's the one. Right. And then, and then, so I, I'm, I asked him like, so did you, did he end up going to church with you? And she's like, oh yeah, he did. Wow. He went to my church with me afterward. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? But then when like, we told her like, really, I think it was Gavin who actually knew like what some of this stuff was because he informed me and her like, do you know what this is? Do you know what this organization is? And And she's like, no right and of course i didn't know what that was either at that time period but um for us it was just like creepy to realize that a lot of the people that we were around in hollywood were legit like part of these uh secret orders yeah is that creepy it is it is i mean the oto is is really thick and uh yeah yeah definitely but to, to be there, to say, like, no. Yeah. It didn't uh, work out with her and her uh, ex. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, did not work out. <laughs> it was more like a learning experience. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. But, but you got um, that impression just being around. Like, you could sort of feel the weirdness. Um, Yeah, I do remember her initially saying, like, he's into, like, like witchcraft or magic or something. And for me, when I was like hearing that, mind you, I was like, what, 19 or something at the time. Yeah. I'm just like, that's weird. Like, like to me, it was just like, huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, like the same way someone would be like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, regular people would just sometimes like mess around with like a Ouija board or stupid stuff like that. Like that to me, this was like, okay. So he's just like, getting into weird stuff or something. Right. Right. Um, but then later on she, you know, had that instance with him and it was like, okay, you know, magic with a K and his parents were, uh, NSA. Oh, so, wow. Well, that really makes sense. Yeah, actually. doesn't it? Right. So I had to leave Hollywood to get away from all the weird psycho stalker stuff that was going on there. And, Definitely made enemies with the Illuminati for sure, for sure. And um, 
you know, part of my reasoning for wanting to uh, work with InfoWars and Alex Jones was I'm like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Like, he was one of the only people out there yeah. coming out against them mm-hmm. and actually talking about it. So I'm like, all right, yeah, this is like I need to be out there. I need to be in front of the camera. I need to be as vocal as possible. And I'm and I'm going to stop their plan because I was informed of their plan. Um, after it was like shortly thereafter, the realization that this guy was part of OTO. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to one of my producers, managers, right? Who's like a producer manager. And I'm like, you know, my sister, you know, Minna's boyfriend said that, you know, he's part of this thing called OTO. Like, and, and he, at that point, the producer manager turns to me and says, yeah, I know. I am oh. too. And I'm oh. like, what? And, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I start to realize, like, I'm surrounded. And it was like this moment where they're, like, revealing themselves to me. And just like, yeah, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And I kid you not, they were literally like talking about a new world order. And they were like, I know it sounds like cliche, but they literally were. Oh, yeah. And and they were telling me about this was back in 2011 or 12 ish. And they were literally telling me about that they have all these underground bunkers and, and, stuff to hide out in when they collapse everything and people are starving and killing and, and they're, they're, they are relying on the masses to just all infight and kill each other and starve. Right. And also that they, um, they had some kind of like color code coding system of coding people. Interesting. Like, like green was like good, them protected. Yellow was like the useless eaters and the people that they, that are probably just all going to starve or they don't care about killing, right? They want to depopulate mo- most of them, not all, right? But most. And then there was like red, which is like people who they are going to kill and assassinate your wow. enemies. And um, I mean, they're telling, they just start telling me all this stuff. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, this was like, to me, and I was like defiant at the time. I was like, this is, I was like, well, I'm just going to tell everyone where you're hiding in your bunker and we're going to all come find you and root you guys out. That's what I was saying. And they're like, no, you don't get it. You're being stupid. You're being foolish, blah, blah, blah. You you, you can't stop it. And I don't think they took me serious because I was like some, you know, naive, young, dumb girl that right. was just like yeah. being rebellious, right? Um, but you think it maybe put you on some of their radars eventually? Well, yeah, kind of. It put it's that wasn't the exact defining moment. The exact defining moment was when um, they tried to fully like, like literally. I don't know how to explain it. It was like this moment where they wanted to try to fully capture me and control me. And they, it freaked me out. I actually called the police. Oh, I was being harassed and I was scared. 
and um, one of the producers fled this this situation scene. But um, I ended up running away from them. Then they did a big hit piece on me. I'm a, I was a nobody. Like, what what would you do a hit piece on me? For? Interesting. But yeah. They did a hit piece on me on the dirty, that like smut type of. I don't know, almost like paparazzi, smutty, like. What was the nature of the hit piece? They did a hit piece on me and they just made up a bunch of lies about me, said I was like a gold digger and all these things, like just to try to discredit me, which is not true at all. Millie, did you do any acting there? Um, Yeah, I did. I had contracts. Um, I had a contract for a movie with Nicolas Cage and I had a contract – which the movie with Nicolas Cage, I was supposed to become demon possessed in, but I was going to have superpowers, right? Oh, wow. And like I said, at this time period, I was young and this was going over my head. I sure. wasn't seeing anything. Oh, yeah. You know, I was just like, do, do, okay, sure. Yeah, you know. And then um, I had a, my sister and I were literally like, we had paperwork, all this stuff being filed and ready. We were about to sign a big contract with a producer called Vassell Benford, which if you look him up, he's like done tons of huge, I mean, literally Carrie Underwood, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, all them. And we would hang out in the studio with him and his wife and stuff uh, frequently. Um, They even threw me a birthday party. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, we were well on our way. Okay. And at the t- end, bef- right before that, I was even dating Adam Sandler's nephew. So, like, I'm telling you, we were oh, in yeah. the thick of it. Yeah. But I didn't realize what it was. Um, but they were telling me about the blood drinking parties in oh. Hollywood. And that they have, there's a session called blood prostitutes. And um, they're basically like, people with clean blood, like good young people with clean blood that go to the, the blood parties and they actually hook them up to the IVs and actually do blood transfusions and yeah. blood, they're like blood prostitutes, right? So they said that's more popular than actually drinking the blood. That's what they were telling me. Um, but I'm like, well, that's disgusting. Wouldn't you get sick from drinking blood? And, and he was like, yeah, threw up from it it's like yeah, i bet that's disgusting um but to we me like, when they're, out at that point. Well, well they're telling me like okay blood prostitute okay i'm hearing like okay so say some young person wants to go and like give blood and donate blood to some billionaire at some party um and they're getting paid for it right in my mind i'm just like okay whatever you know it's like an exchange a blood donor bank people get paid to donate blood at a blood donor bank right but clearly there was like some obsession with like blood and longevity and trying to trying to maintain youth and stem cell treatments and all that stuff amongst those groups yeah i was gonna say what do you think they're doing with the blood i don't know i never went to any of those things interesting i think what it was is i think i was being groomed i think they were trying to groom me to be in like in inducted into the thing that they were part of but um right at the moment where they're like revealing themselves i literally like out of fate from god uh meet gavin and gavin is actually like able to tell me what all of that is 
And at that moment, I'm just like, holy crap. Screw these weird Satan people. I'm not selling my soul. Screw that. Screw that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want anything to do with that. I was scared. I was honestly scared to death. I was terrified. I had massive yeah. anxiety attacks, panic attacks from the whole thing. Like the whole thing was terrifying to me at the time. You have no idea. Were you surrounded by occultists? I mean, yeah, and it was scary yeah. because the the gang harassment and it all just like like you have no idea. Like while I'm waltzing around in there, like completely oblivious, everything's fine. I'm not noticing the people driving me, doing all this stuff really for free. They're all part of this thing, and it wasn't until I tried to get away from it that it was like ah, and like showed its teeth and fangs and really came down and like tried to wow. destroy me and harass me and gang stalk me and everything else. Um, and that's when I was like oh, terrified. I was just terrified. It was just utterly crazy. Um, but then once we started fighting back in the courts, I started getting some like started started molding me into Millennium Millie by like fighting back. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's the foundation of what you did later in a sense. Exactly. That's like the making of me making of millennial Millie is their grooming, whatever gone wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you think they profiled you in a certain point? It was like, Oh my God, like this isn't going to work. No, I don't think that's what it was. I, I really think it was an act of God. Okay. I, yeah. I really think that God had other plans for me. That's what I think. Yeah. Oh, sure. It yeah. sounds like a deep kind of like, you know, you're surrounded in this mystical place with all these people and, you know, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and then little by little. Um, it was but very the fact confusing. That, yeah. You know? Oh, sure. Sure. It's a complex system and it's old. It's a very okay. old system. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're waiting for people to come in unawares. Um but that is interesting because I've, I've, what I've noticed with your stuff, I always enjoyed your work and your documentaries and all the things that reports that you do. But it, you have encountered incredible obstacles at times. I remember when you got arrested right after releasing Shadowgate. That's right. unusual. <laughs> it is unusual. Isn't that odd? Like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, the weirdest thing. And it was another one of those instances that was terrifying for me and traumatic, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been fighting back for quite a while now. And I think that's part of the reason why I fought so hard for like the whole MAGA movement, Patriot movement, everything was because I don't want those evil people to win. And I, and I, and I really see some of it as like a way of protecting myself in essence. Like I'm I'm like, I don't want anything to do with those weird satanic people and what they have planned for our country um it's not good it's not in anyone's best interest when they're talking about trying to depopulate people kill people all this stuff the way they think about people um it's disturbing and so i pretty much chose my side i chose the side of right what i believe is right and i've not stopped fighting since and i've really been kind of put into a position where i can't stop fighting um, if I to fight is to literally accept destruction at this point, so I have mm-hmm. to continue fighting. And even though I was attacked, really, um, with the whole arrest, the, the false arrest that they did, and um, 
coming out with me with all these felony charges. And of course, the CPS case where they tried to steal my children, which I do probably because my mother had something to do with this whole thing um, and her yeah. into Hollywood. Um, I do believe that they were after my kids to some extent. Absolutely. I well, think they were trying uh, can to I ask it like, is your, was your mom, are you on good terms with her or is she no. part of the problem? <laughs> She's yeah. definitely part of the problem. Yeah. Not yeah. on good terms for sure. Um, I mean, it's really a tough situation cause she's my mom. Sure. Um, and there's always like that, that love. And I know that in her younger years, she was a good mom to me, but, um, she got wrapped up with some bad people in Hollywood. And I mean, literally was dating a guy that was like, you know, come to find out a member of the church of Satan. Like she got wrapped up with bad people out there and she still lives out in California. And I, you know, had to rescue my sister from Hollywood in that world. And she was pretty messed up in the head when I, you know, helped rescue her. How is she now? She's doing a lot better. She's doing a lot better. Um, but I mean, my mistake was thinking I could help my mom. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, all that ended up being used as a weapon against me and, your mom was used in the, the arrest case. She was. That's right. Yeah. And um, and here's the thing. Gavin's mom is old and she would not be seen as fit because of her age. And um, the whole thing was they took me, Gavin, my brother, who also, um, you know, could have been somebody to have custody of my kids. Um, and then she was, my mother at the time was making really wild accusations against my father. So I do believe that, you know, that's possible what, you know, she could have been trying to do. I don't know, but, um, it is interesting. They tried to take my kids, you know, Wow. and they had, they had three ladies there. I never forget at the, the CPS meeting where I had to show up and every single one of them was wearing a blue shirt that said turning portage, which was the County blue on their shirts. <laughs> and I called him out on it. I'm like, how am I not supposed to feel threatened by that? Like, yeah. How am I not supposed to feel like this is bias? It's like the DNC versus Millie. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and the Department of Child Services building was literally right next door. Literally, like, right across the street from the Democrat Party headquarters in the wow. city. And that was the same Democrat Party headquarters where I did that undercover report during the whole Hillary Clinton Trump campaign season. Right. I went undercover and I showed that Hillary wasn't having any support. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, let's just say I've definitely swatted the nest a bunch, the Democrat nest a bunch in this area. Yeah. And, and I was well on their radar. So when a Democrat prosecutor comes at me and this judge who's the judge on the whole thing um, has literally like was recently arrested for a DUI and was like telling the police the whole time, I'm above the law. Let me go, you know? And then they put her in jail for like one night and then she's obviously released the next day and all the charges dropped and everything else. But it's because we're dealing with cabals. Yeah. We're dealing with cabals after even what I saw in, 
California with the way the, the judges were corrupt there and how it's interlaced with these secret societies. Um, it's just, it's, it's a bad situation and, and there's a lot of criminal conduct that goes on and they really go after people that buck the system. And if more people were bucking the system though, it would be harder for them to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's when only a couple people are doing it. That's when it starts to get dangerous for a couple people. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, I mean, did they threaten you in relation to putting the documentary out that something was going to happen if you did it? I don't think so. No. I mean, I, we put out a, a couple trailers for Shadowgate and the, the trailers kind of eluded to that there's possible like top secret stuff going to be released. Right. It didn't say that, but it eluded did a little bit of trolling, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I will say that I was on the phone with one of my whistleblowers and we were going into depth about the DNC server. And I was taking all these notes for a new video, right? That's what I was saying. But I was like, let's go into depth about the DNC server. And there was all this talk about where it could be and things of that nature and um really stuff that definitely i mean if they were listening in you know i could see i could see that being something they're like perked up about right right um but then like that next morning i'm like on i'm, I'm on the phone with like messaging with Alex Jones and messaging with the production crew of their Infowars and talking about, you know, we're going to release the video and I wanted him to look at it first. So I was going to, I was like, we're going to send it to you because I want you to watch it first just to, you know, get your approval and get your take on the whole thing. And then um, at the same time, um, Gavin was sending it uh, to Tori and mm -hmm. So we had literally two uploads going. We had an upload to Tori, and we had an upload to uh, to the Infowars producer. And right, like the, it, the the one was slowing the other down. So we decided, all right, we're going to X out the Infowars producer. We'll just send it to Tori because it was slowing it down. And um, literally, it was like ninety eight or so percent uploaded when the police came to our house banging on the door and they had no warrant no paperwork in hand nothing what did they and say they were in an unmarked car they weren't even wearing their regular uniform so it was like really odd they were saying that uh there was a secret grand jury indictment and you're under arrest <laughs> that's what they're saying what did you think i was terrified yeah i was like what like what do you mean like what the hell and i was in my room in my bedroom at the time and i was getting changed and they are um bar they're banging on my bedroom door unbelievable and i'm like what the heck you know the and timing on that is un unbelievable the timing's uncanny yeah okay? unbelievable and <clears throat> i'm like what the heck? I, I, my immediate thinking was like, they're, 
this is about Shadowgate. Like they're they're totally trying to stop us from putting Shadowgate out because they're saying a secret grand jury indictment. They're saying arrest. Um, they said burglary, which didn't make any sense to me. And so I'm just like, this whole thing's bizarre. Um, yeah, definitely. it's like a trumped up case completely. Absolutely. It was totally made up. Like it was totally trumped up. They were talking and I heard them on the radios in their car when they were driving us about the paperwork. Are we going to get the paperwork or what? Um, they're also talking about transport vehicles to transport huh. us from somewhere. And then it was later that some, let's just say big name Fox news reporters came out and other people, intelligence people came out and informed me about what really happened with my arrest. What did they say? They said that, um, they saw the whole thing go down. They saw the internal communications from the Democrats and the prosecutor and that this was a um, it was a targeted attempt to take out a journalist and that I was supposed to the, re, the, the jail that I was taken to was actually a homeland security like fusion center. So they said oh, that's strange and that no. I was going to be transported under an espionage mm -hmm. act to um, Wright Patterson. So it was Wright Patterson Air Force Base. That's what so, they do with spies, right? Yes, under Espionage Act. And um, I think what it was was they believed that Shadowgate was going to have um, cl like classified information in it. And so okay. it was like a knee-jerk reaction. And then when the film's out there, because they couldn't stop it from going out there, because it had just in time gotten to Tori and Tori put it up and Tori gave it to InfoWars and they put it up on Bandot Video. Um, and I think, I think at that point, once they realized top secret information, like would be that stupid to put actual top secret information in it? Like, come on. Um, like that's stupid. Like you could talk right. about information and just say a source gave it to you, but why would you, why would you actually publish top secret information? That's insane. Yeah. Um, but I think they had reasonable cause or reason to believe and um, they knee jerk reacted. And of course, they had to have a cover story. And so I think the whole they they used that thing that happened way back in April with my mom. that was like a big nothing. And they resurrected it and used it as a cover story, essentially. They saw it in the system and they were like, we can use this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what it was was the paperwork was literally made about a thin air. Okay, so get this. They, they take us to the jail, and at the jail, they hand uh, me and Gavin paperwork, and I'm reading the paperwork, and it literally said, burglary, tampering with evidence, obstruction of justice, and domestic violence. And I'm like, the heck? <laughs> and I read the whole burglary thing, and it's saying like, at this point, I'm realizing they're they're going they're using the thing with my mom like from months ago, which was nothing, and um, and then I'm like, what is this? And then it says like with burglary, one of the the legal requisites or whatever is that you have to like trespass for burglary, right. which they were trying to claim I was tres I trespassed my own home, which wasn't going to work for them, and I don't think they realized that because I actually had my 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 residence registered as Gavin's mom's home, which was like a mile down the road. Okay. Which is partially because like I'm a public figure. I don't want to be docs, all that stuff. Right. Right. So that's like what was on my ID. Um, 
So I think they, in a rush, made up all that paperwork and realized, uh-oh, later, because when I'm there at the police station, they're literally, their entire system went down. And Unbelievable. And down for hours, hours, hours. And, and we were just sitting there. And then finally, they tried to scare me. They told me on the phone that they were taking my kids away. Um, the CPS people said, we, we have your kids and we're taking custody of them and everything else. Um, so that terrified me. And then they also had um, police in there and they kept trying to put my finger in the system and their thing would not accept my fingerprint. Huh. It literally would not accept it. And what was also weird I recently heard Peter Navarro's testimony on Tucker Carlson about his arrest. And he said that the machine wouldn't accept his fingerprint. Interesting. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what the hell is going on? It's like there's some kind of block when they go to do these things. Yeah, I don't know. It was bizarre. It wouldn't accept it. So they sent me back into the holding cell with the other girls. And we're just sitting there for hours on end. I was arrested like around noon. And... They didn't even book me in until really, really late at night because their systems were having so many problems. And they had um, they had uh, some sergeant guy come in and start questioning me, asking me all those questions. And he starts talking to me about Shadowgate and asking me questions about Shadowgate. He already knows. Right. And he and he was telling me about how he used clear force. Oh. And, and he's in the military. He starts huh. talking to me, asking, like, having Do you feel like they questions. sent him in to see how much you knew? Exactly. Yeah. And also, he starts asking about what is your actual address? Where do you live? What is your actual residency? They're <laughs> like, really? Ask, because what they had had me do was they had me fill out a public defender's form before that. Um, and I was like, uh, I filled out my dress as the place they picked me up at obviously my home which is different from my id and and that's after that is when he came in and started questioning and um i'm like yeah that is my house where you picked me up and they were like and, and i said to him i said so good luck with your burglary charge because you have to have trespass I'm like good luck with that <laughs> give him attitude. breaking into my own house yeah yeah breaking into my own house good <laughs> luck so then um Hours go by. They have me do the whole thing where they like de-louse you, have you shower and strip, de-louse you. Um, they finally got the fingerprints, took the pictures, put me and they gave me paperwork. And the new paperwork said robbery instead of burglary, which is an entirely different charge. Oh. And it was still with that same date, like as though they backdated it. And this was still the mom thing that they were using. Yep. They made the paper Unbelievable. up out of nowhere. So they wanted enough time to float that charge so they could go in there and kind of interrogate you and maybe intimidate you as well, but also to get some info directly on what you were doing. Yeah. Ooh feeling hot right now <laughs> it's a tough i bet it's a tough memory i can imagine it is a tough memory that's why i'm kind of not feeling good right now because the whole thing's just making me not feel good oh yeah about it. 
Yeah, sure. Take your time on it. I, uh, I'm i glad that you shared that with me. I was very curious about the whole arrest. And I knew when it happened, there was something really up with it. And, uh, you know, whenever I see those types of things around somebody and they're doing this kind of work, I always say, you know, it's coordinated on some level. And uh, so, but you made it through, I mean, which is remarkable. You got the workout and you survived the experience. That's That's pretty amazing. By the grace of God, you know, no weapon formed against you shall prosper so somehow yes. i made it out of there so it is it's like a trial by fire there's, there's no question about it um absolutely and the worst part was actually all the attacks i got from other conservatives which now we're learning a lot of them weren't actually conservatives and many of them are even being fingered for causing january 6th so. right um so there are those people that are kind of implanted in that system Right. And um, that's tr uh, kind of tricky, too, because you come into that and you're doing this and politically there's a movement there. But you have all these infiltrators generally, you know, around it. And there's a number of psyops. You know, it reminds me so much of things like with Q and everything else, you know, that there's good people involved. And then there's all the psyop stuff that goes right. with it. And it turns into one huge machine. The question is, where are we now? Where have they put the gears in motion for us heading in politically? And, you know, we've been through quite a lot even since you had that experience. But where are they going, let's say, first in 2022 here with the elections coming up and then into 2024? You know, I've heard a lot of things being floated about a unity ticket, uh, which seems to me one of those things, again, where they would pick the kind of compromise figures from either party and put them together because neither party can govern. Hmm. I mean, it would have to be a new political party because typically they would run off of either Republican ticket or Democrat party ticket. So they'd have to be third party or something if they were going to do something like that. Um, because I don't think that the Republican party would endorse a Democrat or vice versa. Um, I've heard a lot about the Ron DeSantis running. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Um, I know that um, because of the mainstream media, they've done a really good job at demonizing Trump. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like some Republicans are almost like in a, in a slightly cowardice way, caving to the mainstream media and thinking, oh, well, you know, Trump's has been tarnished too much. He's got too much baggage. Mm -hmm. Let's just start fresh with someone like Ron DeSantis, right? Who is like Trump without the baggage? That's what they're seeing them as. But if you remember, like 2016, Trump didn't have all the baggage. He was like idolized like hell, right? Yeah. He had all his reality shows. Everyone loved Trump. Right. Um, so I don't think it matters that DeSantis doesn't have baggage right now. He'll have baggage, believe me, you. I mean, look at what they did to Kavanaugh. Um, right. They'll make baggage. That's yeah. how that's what they do. And the reality is, is, is DeSantis going to want to subject his wife to that when I know his wife's been battling cancer and everything else? Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to want to. I've heard some talk about him potentially running. I think he would be a good VP potentially for Trump. I think that would be a strong ticket. But there's also some rules where, like, you can't have two people from the same state as president and vice president that some mm -hmm. people talked about, but that's not necessarily set in stone. There's like a lot of wiggle room on that. So maybe Trump could do New Jersey. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, there also seems to be a little bit of a rivalry in the mix there with DeSantis and Trump. Uh, and because we've seen when DeSantis was really getting big, Trump said, oh, some of these guys, you know, talk tough, but they don't know how to go the distance. And a lot of people thought he was talking about DeSantis. So it's tricky, it seems like. But you, you know, you experienced the Trump rallies. You, you've covered it very closely on its rise and all the things that went through with 2020. Right. Um, that audience, that group, that crowd, those voters are still behind Trump. Uh, would you say that's true or not? I would say it's true for the most part. I think that there's a, there has definitely been a lot of like psychological warfare ops on social media, bot armies, whatever, to demonize Trump. But I do think there's also some of that that's organic. People upset about his stance with the vaccine his um, other, you know, failings by essentially having so many swamp people around him. Sure. But I think that that's also partially because people don't really understand how corrupt the system is and how right. he yeah. was like really, I mean, it was really kind of a, a miracle thing in itself to have even got him in. Usually they're so good at rigging these elections that, you know, they don't have, that's not a problem for them to maintain who they've selected. Um, but something happened with the 2016 election for sure. And Trump got in and they did not like it. So they obviously, you know, Trump had to broker a deal somewhat with the establishment Republicans because you can't only go it alone with the grassroots conservatives and Republicans. You wouldn't have enough support. A lot of the big donors are part of the, like, you have to like appease the donor class to some extent. I mean, this is how the political system is rigged, unfortunately, in this in our country right now. Not to say it couldn't change in the future, but that's currently like how it is. And so that deal was like to have Pence as the the VP. And <laughs> of course, Pence then yeah. comes in and does the Brutus move at the opportune moment. So I don't think Trump expected that or saw that coming. Really, I don't think that they thought. I don't think they thought that the Republican rhinos would go to that extent to get rid of Trump, but they did. They wanted their party back. They didn't like that it was being taken over by the grassroots. So this was their way to take out the grassroots movement all in one big swoop. They had to, the establishment had to take the Republican party back. Absolutely. Um, And now they're using the J6 hearings as a big showboat uh, kangaroo court trial to basically eliminate Trump as a possibility. And um, what are you seeing with that display? We've never really seen anything like that where they do primetime hearings by one party. <laughs> and uh, you've mentioned yourself that there's no real cross-examination of it. They just present a kind of one-sided story of propaganda and go for it. What are you seeing though with those and what kind of impact are they having? Well, it's it's just all a big clown show, like primetime clown show. They're trying to steer our attention, the people's attention away from the failings of Joe Biden, the failing economy, all this stuff. So that gearing up for the midterms that hopefully the Democrats can bode well. That's what their plan is. Um, get everyone on the Republicans, on Trump. They know that when they they can incite their followers up a bunch by using Trump to incite them because they've programmed them to be incited by Trump's name for the past however many years. So that's a a fail-proof safe for them. 
And they, what they're doing with the January 6th hearing is also covering up their own tracks of their own criminal activities that they did, which is, you know, plotting to do this. I truly believe that they're the ones behind January 6th to a large degree. I mean, you saw like the Zoom calls that I had uncovered and many of those Zoom calls were covered before my arrest and then some were even uncovered after. Right. So um, we were in like live pursuit investigating these left-wing radical groups. Incredible. And um, I mean, it was insane what we were watching. And these groups like would regularly have AOC on or mm-hmm. maybe in communications with Chuck Schumer and the Democrat Party. And then at the same time, they'd also be having all these federal workers and bureaucrats on in sessions where they had um, Department of Homeland Security employees and, and others. They're literally like teaching Hong Kong style protest tactics. And we do know that on January 6th, we saw um, leftists there dressed in black block where mm-hmm. they completely cover their faces, their bodies. And of course, we can't identify the people there that were in black block because they wear, they dress that way intentionally because you can't identify them if, you, if they dress that way. Right. We mostly identified the, the you know, Trump supporters that just walked in there. And it's like it'd be like walking into a bank that, you know, without any face covering nothing. And then them being like, that's the person that robbed the bank. And then who cares about the masked person dressed in all black with the ski mask? Right. No, that wasn't the one. But because we can identify that person that walked in there while it was being robbed, that's the person who did it. Right? So um, we well, do know use, some of the, the right Let's use one example there, uh, which is, and you mentioned it when we just got started, but John Sullivan is kind of a good example. And you encountered him when you were going around with the film crew. He was just sort of hanging out there after the fact. Um, What do you think he was doing there? And uh, we know that, for example, CNN paid him uh, 70 grand for his film footage, which is pretty unusual. Um, But that seems to me to be a direct sort of link to provocateur activity to see somebody like that. And he's pictured uh, in the Capitol there as well. Right. And it's interesting that John Sullivan, who broke into the Capitol, was smashing windows, uh, saying burn this, you know what, down, literally instigating in every facet and contributing to the violence. And he's walking around free because they the media has came up with a narrative that, oh, no, he was just a cameraman. He was just there as a journalist. Right. He wasn't you know, doing any of that or didn't pre-plan any of that. When, if you look at his online social media posts, everything, it's completely counter to that. Um, He had pre-planned to be there. He had a meetup location at the Washington Monument with his other Antifa compatriots. Um, His brother made public statements about his... uh, John Sullivan and the 226 Antifa that, you know, um, were part of doing this on January 6th. And, um, I mean, it's, you can't deny that he was there to cause mischief and mayhem. Um, there's the, the, the images of him on the forum he posted where he has literally a Trump hat on in the hallway and he puts Mm -hmm. COINTELPRO or COINTEL, um, 
definitely some weird, suspicious stuff going on. And we do know that the brother, James Sullivan, had been part of the an effort to set up the stage for the permit for the stage right in front of the Capitol building for, um, you know, w- which would include him and some others um, for speaking events. No stage was ever made. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. They've been so kind of positioned. Really yeah. Moved into position. Um, exactly. And so much of that day worked like that. And, you know, when you look at it in retrospect, <laughs> the Democrats like to hang around and say, this is worse than 9-11 or whatever. But it, basically you're looking at, you know, a three hour protest that turned into a riot at points and you had it facilitated. Um, and they still haven't come out with that. So when you get to the point where these committees are looking into it now, you've got Liz Cheney at the top of the committee. And when you see someone like that there, you know, whose dad was really into torture <laughs> and, you know, bombing Iraq and CIA black sites and all that, it's like, where's, where's that messaging going? What's funny is that all the Democrats are praising Liz Cheney, but even some of those formerly uh, hardcore left journalists like Greenwald and Taibbi and all those people, they're starting to see it. And they're saying, you know what? We have nothing to do with these people, this party, where this thing is gone. Uh, and so they're, they've turned on the DNC. They, they appreciate it, you know, exactly what's taken place, even though they're on the left. Right. And we saw that a bunch. I mean, just even today, I did a live stream earlier um, on my YouTube channel, Millennial Millie, um, if you guys want to check it out, but it, it literally, I'm going over footage where I was there at the DNC covering what was happening in 2016. And you had all these protesters out there angry, furious at the DNC because they believed that their votes were stolen mm-hmm. and that they had voted for Bernie. And they think they think that the vote was the, the thing was stolen from Bernie Sanders. All right. So it's like if you go and review the footage, which I did like an in-depth thing today where I went over it um, that I had. You've got these giant the black protester fences, the helicopters, like a, a ton of police presence there, like tons, right? Which this is the same thing that they had for the RNC, right? Mm-hmm. Tons of big gates, tons of police there. They prepared for it. They had the same thing for the inauguration in 2016. You know, build fences around gates. I mean, I remember going to the inauguration in 2016 and, you know, so many people couldn't even get into the inauguration to see the speech on time wow. because they had actual security checkpoints and scanners. Like you had to walk through metal detectors to get unbelievable. So yeah. what, what sticks out to me is when we went to January 6th and we're walking around, there was like almost no security presence. It was just the weirdest thing. It was like, this is odd. Usually <laughs> when you see a big giant protest or event, there's tons of like fences, barricades. Of course. National Guard, right? Yes. You didn't see any of that this time. And it was that way by design. Yeah. Okay? Because we know now that Nancy Pelosi was the one who didn't tell her sergeant of arms. And same with Senator Mitch McConnell. He didn't tell his sergeant of arms. Neither of them instructed their sergeant of arms to instruct the uh, chief of police to have the National Guard there because Trump had came out and said, you know, he, he even called Christopher Miller and Christopher Miller verified this. He came out in um, in news interviews talking about, yes, Trump did say to have 10,000 National Guard there. 
but he was saying it in a very negative way towards Trump. Um, so Christopher Miller's response, though, to Trump was that he couldn't because he has to get a direct request. Oh. And the request has to come from the Capitol Police. And the Capitol Police can't do anything unless they get a request or an order from the Sergeant of Arms. Okay. And the Sergeant of Arms is basically just the person that relays the orders from the House Majority Leader, Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi was the one who was supposed to have given the order to the Sergeant of Arms, who then would give the order to Capitol Police. And the, that Capitol Police would put in their request. And Christopher Miller and the National Guard would have then had 10,000 troops there, right? But Nancy Pelosi did not. And you know what is also interesting? Nancy Pelosi is refusing to hand over her communications with her sergeant of arms. Oh. Both of her the arms for the House and the sergeant of arms for the Senate and the D.C. Capitol Police all resigned after January 6th. Unbelievable. Right? This That's incredible. incredible. Wow. <laughs> you know, it I, says a lot. Uh, they activated um, continuity of government after uh, that incident took place when they evacuated all the Congress people. It came out a year later. Uh, and now the story that's floated around is that when the car came to pick up Pence to take him to an undisclosed location, that he didn't get in, uh, that he didn't, you know, he didn't go off to that, which I found interesting anyway. And it's kind of one of those mysteries. But again, there's that kind of looming COG uh, presence around these deep events uh, when they take place. Um, we're a year and a half out from that. When you look back on it, and you were you were there in the thick of it, watching people being set up and, and all the rest. What do you think of it now? Well, um, I didn't actually go down to the Capitol. I was wow. actually invited to like the VIP section of the actual speech down right. at the ellipse. And so in order to get into that VIP era, you had to be there for screening at like 5 a.m. or something stupid. It was like super early and it was freezing, okay, because this was in January. So we walked all the way there, had to sit there for hours, freezing cold. I felt like I was hypothermic. I'm not even kidding. I was so cold. Wow. Um, but I just remember the massive amounts of people and it was like we were wedged like sardines trying to get out of there right after the speech ended. It took so long to just get out of there. Just it was you could easily get trampled in a crowd like that. I mean, it was insane. Wow. And, and like people were just like, you know, like when you're like sardines and everyone's like pushing and waving and <laughs> you're almost getting crushed. I mean, it was that packed. And so to me, it's just it's mind boggling in a, in a situation where you have that many people that they wouldn't have had National Guard there. They wouldn't have had a, a large police and security presence. That to me is insane. I mean, what if there were a terrorist attack? Like, what if there was like a Boston bombing type event or something? Right. Yeah. And people start trampling and stampeding and killing people. I mean, it, it could have turned ugly in a million different scenarios. So that's usually why in a large event like that with protesters in a in a very contentious election, mm -hmm. okay, why it would just make sense to have obviously had the National Guard there. Duh. Mm -hmm. And one of the arguments they have is that they say that, well, we were not informed that there was any credible threat. Therefore, that's why we chose to not have the National Guard there. 
Did you know I literally can cite an article from 2017 before the inauguration with Trump, which had massive security for Trump's inauguration in 2017, where there were National Guard there, everything, metal detectors, everything. They didn't have a credible threat then. They had no credible threat. They had no threats at all. They just did it because that's what they wanted to do for the election. That's precaution. That's, yeah. Right. (laughs) The whole thing is just, it's baloney. All the arguments that they've made throughout this hearing are completely baloney. And they don't want us touching on the Nancy Pelosi issue with her (laughs) refusing to give the orders to have the National Guard there. And the way you know it is they're like, oh, um, what we're not going to do is we're not going to blame the Capitol Police for failing to protect the Capitol because Capitol police officers died that day. Right. It's like, well, we can blame Nancy Pelosi because the Capitol police chief was begging them both. He, he came out in a, he put out an affidavit, like a whole detailed thing of the whole thing. He was not happy. He was begging them to have the national guard there. They wouldn't do it. The, uh, the New York times floated that very false story about protesters, you know, this, policeman that was attacked with a fire extinguisher and then later they were like no actually he died of natural causes it wasn't you know a blunt force hit by a fire extinguisher and but they ran with that story for three days before they were like oh yeah no it's it's fake (laughs) so they wanted the narrative and they got it um the question is you know when we look at that they were looking to put us in a kind of a civil war style footing and biden came in and they have the whole disinformation governance board, domestic terrorism bills. Um, so this is where they're coming from. Uh, they're hoping maybe that the J6 style committees can ram that uh, reality through. The problem is it seems like the general populace, like you said, is paying more attention to things like <laughs> inflation, you know, giving all this money to Ukraine, et cetera, and the kind of disaster that the Biden administration is. Um, this guy at his age, right. I mean, even if they wanted to prop him up, they probably can't even make him through this term, never mind another one. So it seems to me that whole situation of leadership is, is very topsy turvy. And it's basically like anything could happen. Right. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next, really and truly. Uh, I definitely think the Democrats are panicking right now just because how horrible the economy is doing and food shortages, gas prices are super high. All of that's voting really bad for Biden, essentially. And when they've polled, they polled uh, people, Americans, even Democrats, on um, their views of January 6th. And most people polled that they just want to move on, you know, that they're just over it and they they want the country to move forward and move on. So this stretch that they're making to try to reel everything back in to January 6th and to do this witch hunt trial against Trump where, you know, him and his people, they don't have ability to respond. They don't have legal defense in this. These Democrats are just up there, including even rhinos, right, are up there making these bold accusations, which are slanderous, incredibly slanderous and defamatory against Trump and the people around him. I think they're insightful, too, because it's like they're they're trying to convince people that Trump committed like one of the highest crimes, you know, that he's like a a traitor, treasonous traitor. And it's just it's baloney. They don't have the ability to respond, you know, Mm -hmm. like in a typical hearing that would be publicized, you would have a legal defense and your legal defense could object to things that were being said. They could respond. 
Right. So they're just trying to have this whole thing play out in the court of public opinion and have it be entirely one sided. And they think that somehow that's going to go well for them. But I think that what they're actually doing is disenfranchising in entire like, you know, half of the country with this whole thing. There's no question about it. And uh, they are hoping that this is kind of the only thing that they have left because rolling into the end of 2022 in that election, it looks like a Republican route is, is that's where we're headed. Um, it looks like the Republicans are going to win big. So without something, some countermeasure, you know, one thing I'm curious about, I want to know what you think of this because you spent a lot of time on the campaign trail. Why do you think the deep state is so afraid of Trump? Literally. I mean, we've seen partisanship before. You know, we've seen people go after public figures. We've seen all that stuff play out in the media. But this is different. It is like a witch hunt, exactly like you said. Well, I think part of it is because he's exposing them. Um, he's done a lot for exposing the fake news and how it's all controlled. And right. uh, I mean, he's done a lot in that regard of exposing them. Yeah. Um, he's doing things to directly slow down and thwart their plans for their new world order. Um, so they've got like their agendas, their timelines, all these things. Um, they were supposed to have Hillary in there and we're behind because we don't have Hillary in there. That's like, that's the whole thing. Like in the timeline, we're behind. So now we're here in what, 2022, we're just now having done with dealt with COVID. They forced their agenda down your throat and Trump has basically, um, been a rock in their side essentially i think that you would say like you could say that he's someone who was part of the inside part of the in crowd that then rebelled and was basically like no screw you right yeah um, if you were part of the in crowd the elite all that stuff and then you realize that they want to go some really crazy route and many of them are are like closet communists i think that it would be an easy decision to say you know what I'm going to hedge my bets and I'm going to try to fight you people because like right. screw that. Right. Like who wants that? Like what, how would that be in anyone's best interests <laughs> to want to go along with some crazy communists that want to like take over and destroy a country? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that they just hate him because what he's choosing to do, they need to stop him. They need to take him out. Our presidents are usually selected. Um, and he was not selected by them. And that was a big problem for them. So. If you were going to give him advice, because I hear that he's kind of in a bubble now about certain issues and that the people around him don't really give him such solid advice about what's happening on the ground with even with his own following, what kind of advice would you give him? Well, that's funny you mentioned that because um, like recently, um, Gavin and I actually went out to Florida and met with Trump's lawyers, um, his legal team, Peter Tickton, all, Tick, yeah, Tickton, um, and uh, nice guy, really. Peter Tickton's a nice guy. And I mean, I gave them all my thoughts and everything, my research, my investigative work on January 6th, because I did a lot of, like I told you, I did a lot of that investigative work. Oh, yeah. Um, collecting witness statements, everything else. Um, and I mean, my, my, uh, my suggestion was 
that we need to actually, I know this sounds crazy, but my suggestion and, you know, I'm not going to say what anyone thought or said, because that's, I don't want to breach that trust, but um, my suggestion was uh, QUX. That's my suggestion. Right. And, this and is I know something... that sounds crazy. Like, of course, you're going to suggest that, right? <laughs> but well, it's your thing. I mean... It's the, it's, it's what we've, it's what we've conceived to be the answer to the problems. Give, right? give me a quick overview on what it is, QUX. Okay, so let me give you an, an overview on how the deep state is winning. Yes. Okay. The overview on how they're winning right now is through, they have tech dominance. They have the ability literally through all of our smart devices, our phones, our computers, everything. They spy and collect data on everything, okay? They literally, all that data gets put into these massive algorithms where they literally build out entire 3D model of our world with little, literal avatars of every person with your avatar behavioral modeled out, okay? As to what your likes, interests, everything are, okay? Not just that, but like, you know how your phone tells you like it knows where your home is because that's where you frequent? Yes. Right? Um, your phones literally right now can tell them what the ambient temperature in your room, in the room you're in is, what floor, what level of a building you're in, um, what you're saying can access your camera, access your audio. Why? Because you give it permission to. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know it, but these apps you're using, you're, you're letting them access it. Letting them, they're they're eavesdropping on you. you yeah, say. and the way that many people have actually started to see this, and I've actually seen like TikTok trends where people are like, oh, it's so funny when like, you know, you want your, you're hacking the, the algorithms to get your boyfriend to buy certain things for you. And then like the girls will go up and be like, chocolate, massages. <laughs> like just say it near the guy's phone so that next thing you know it's like the guy sees it in their social media exactly media, like yeah. an ad for it but it's become like normalized that they're spying on us all and they shove these ads at us but that's just what you're seeing on the commercialized side mm -hmm. right you're not seeing what they're doing with psychological warfare and their bot armies that they have right you're not seeing what they have with their ability to literally plug it in and predictively analyze an election outcome their ability to literally see who's voted when and where at this at midnight on election night they know who's voted where they know why because you take your phone with you everywhere so mm -hmm. you go to the the polling station they know you've went to the polling station to vote you go to one of the dropbox locations they know your likelihood as to whether or not you're likely to even vote or who you're likely to vote for based on your social media, what you can say near your phone. All of that gets fed into these things. Why do you think they have all these social medias? Like, what are they selling on Facebook? Right. What are they selling on Twitter? They're selling you. They're selling, They're selling you. your data. So this is the problem that we're in right now. We've given them so much power and control with our data that they're they're like a big monster that's unstoppable right now so if you're like what do we do what do we do trump 
can Trump go up against this big monster machine all on his own? So how do you how do you take out the monster in the machine? You have to get people to stop feeding it. The more we feed it, the bigger it grows, the more power it has. So our solution with QUX is we're built out an entire new network, okay, a virtual hardware private network, okay? And it is like its own new net, its own new internet, servers, everything. And on there, it doesn't collect or store any data, okay? Everything mm -hmm. is encrypted. Everything is private. And so the key here is if you get enough people off of their grid, their devices, and off onto other electronic devices that literally do not have, doesn't have Google, doesn't have any other stuff in it, right? You destroy their ability to predict and properly model out election outcomes, model out how the public will respond to, say, a, a particular event like COVID or um, January 6th or things like 9-11. Like, they can't predictively model out how you're going to respond. Right. They can't control the narrative with their bot armies and their psychological warfare bots. I mean, they literally have tools. And that's one of the things in Shadowgate was about how we had a whistleblower that was part of these PSYOP teams and that developed one of the psychological warfare applications that they use, the software programs. Yeah, and how um, they, they use this is Fergie, right? Yeah, and this is how they use these things in third-party countries. They were using them in third-party countries. Um, it, sorry, not third-party. Third-world countries, they were using this to essentially rig and steal elections in other countries. Right. Okay? And it was like a two-part series. You had You had to be able to have the machines rigged in the back doors, to, to steal it, but then you also had to have part two, which was the psychological warfare apparatus in order to convince the public of the election result that you stole. Yeah. So if you don't have both, you can't win because you're going to have an uprising on your hand. So the key here with, with, and that's why I say I think that's the best solution, is we need to disrupt their ability to continually rig and predict um, elections and of how the public's going to respond to events. We need to cut off their ability to spy on us, to try to put us on the social credit score system with biometric internet IDs. Um, you know, these phones that they've, I mean, look at all these devices. You've got Apple phones, right? Yeah. With corrupt China Apple. And then you also have Google Android. All of mm -hmm. these devices, even Apple phones have Google. They all have Google in it. Right. And Google is essentially like the CIA's backdoor and everything. Okay. So would you say that they then practiced with all this tech uh, on during the wars and then they turned that on the American people? Absolutely. Yes. They, yeah. they were using it in a military fashion in these other countries. And then it was privatized and partially because of, at least in this instance with um, the ShadowNet um, and our whole story with Shadowgate, was um, that... Uh, Dynology was a company that was created by General Jones, Obama's national uh, former national security advisor. The generals are in there doing all the general stuff, but then they also are creating their own private co companies to get the military contracts. 
And so they got the military contract to create the shadow net, which is the whole psychological warfare tool, weapons tool. But in the fine print, they had it that the company, the private company, actually got to keep the intellectual property rights. And then once they kept the rights, they then could sell it commercially. And now it's basically the whole thing is the tools out there in the hands of like all these private companies and even countries. So, wow, this is the data mine. The whole propaganda, the Smith Munt Act, which legalized propaganda, is what allowed a lot of this. What is that's like 2012, somewhere in there? Yeah, like 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think things have changed substantially since that kicked in. Um, so you think then with QUX, as you build alternate infrastructure for this, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and you're, you're starting it out, it's in a kind of a, a skeleton phase right now, but you can build it out, the more people join it, more servers, etc. And it grows, yes, it grows. So what's kind of cool is, I mean, they've got a lot of things definitely going on R&D and, and whatnot. But I mean, it's building its own like, network like mesh network i mean like if you have a bunch of these boxes with like partition memory and things like you could do a lot with that and private encrypted communications um people having the ability to have their own stores on there where they can sell things and people can have exchange in there with um tokens essentially it's not a cryptocurrency but you it's basically like trans uh transferring usd into tokens on like a one-to-one transaction type thing going on and people being able to use the tokens to engage in encrypted um, transactions and um, it's just like an entire new thing Um, it's it's got its own app store so app developers can create their own apps on there Um, it has something called the portal universe where any content creator can literally go on there and build out their portals with their videos pictures music even if you sell things, you can build, you can have your store in there and sell things in there. Um, it's just an amazing tool really for the people to be able to have. And the best thing about it is you don't get spied on. Um, QX has like a really strong stance and policy on that. They literally dump the data. They don't keep any of it because, um, if you're not selling data, you're not making money on it. So why would you spend all the money on storing it? Right. They have all these big servers and yeah. bandwidth and everything else that they store your data on with these social media companies, but that's because they store it to sell it and use it for things. QUX doesn't store anything. Um, so it's really a different way of doing things. And um, it's it's literally, they're working on things where it's going to be its own private internet. What's it sounds remarkable. It's like sounds a remarkable. parallel internet to the, the World Wide Web, but it's yes. a more secure internet. The, uh, the fact that you took so much heat for it when you announced it also, I thought was interesting. Instantly, that mainstream didn't like the idea of this thing floating around. Absolutely. And they've, they've attacked QUX a ton. Oh and they, they've come up with like phony versions of it, right? Wasn't there like Freedom Phone? Yeah, the Freedom Phone came out right like right <laughs> after QX. And what was creepy was like Freedom Phone's Twitter account kept like copying the tweets. Oh, that is QUX weird. Was yeah, out in like a creepy way. Yeah, and it was like, all right, what is going on here? And then they got all these like, you know, 
conservative ink or faux conservatives to like come out and endorse Freedom Phone. And where did that go? Like, you know, it, it was like this thing and then it just disappeared. And then people found out that it was all phony baloney yeah. to some degree and that they didn't actually really have their own um, operating system or electronics. They were like, just rebranding something else. You think it was meant to just suck the oxygen out of what you guys are doing? Absolutely. That's what, that's what we believe it was totally to do. Um, QUX, you know, it raised $175,000 with the Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. And with that, it was able to do the test pilot program with a thousand test pilots. But initially Indiegogo tried to not give the money to QUX. Oh, yeah. Under what basis? Like, what did they say was the reason? Um, they they wanted a prototype. They said, we want a prototype. You need to, you know, they started making all these demands after the fact. After the campaign had already even finished out, right? Yeah. After the I mean, you never hear that with Indiegogo or no, GoFundMe. No, and it's like how yeah. to, the whole Indiegogo fundraiser was to get the money to right. the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. of the prototype. So how would... QUX have the prototype. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it didn't make any sense. So QUX had to get lawyers and do a legal threat. At that point, they then released the funds, but they it took them quite a while before they released the funds. I mean, it wasn't like uh, October or something. I mean, it took a while. And, Unbelievable. Um, it's your money. And then, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's actually the people's money. And if the people right, buy right. that or want, you know, to be part of that, that's what they yeah. chose to do with their money. And who are they to say otherwise, you know? So it really kind of put things way behind. And But QUX ended up um, having their test pilots. They all got their their test pilot boxes. And the test pilots have been uh, wonderful, you know, wonderful people. And putting together portals, building portals, helping the tech team to continue to, you know, unlock new features and build new features. And what's cool about it is... Um, on the boxes, it's kind of like it, because it has the overware over the air firmware updates. Um, they can cr they can update things as they go, kind of like how your iPhone has updates, right? So right. they can like certain features on there right now are unlocked, and then there's certain features on there that are still locked because they're still um, like finishing up touches on them and things like that. So. Um, it's really interesting. And then people? obviously there's been new people that um, purchased the boxes as well. And oh, yeah. those people got their boxes. And so it's just growing. I mean, it's really growing. Fantastic. How many people are involved in the development end of it approximately? Um, I mean, there's quite a lot. I'd say about 17. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be like a growing network as it grows, as the user base grows. Uh, it's very, it's fascinating, and I agree with you 100% that there is some alternate way in to all this stuff that needs to happen on the tech side. There's a kind of a bifurcation of belief, in a sense, of what right. the technology should mean in somebody's life. So uh, you're you're on the right track with it. I can't wait to, to try it out. <laughs> right, and I'd say it's more like along the lines like 17 as far as like tech, like the developers, programmers, and things like that, but... When I actually think about it, um, as far as like other things, like people just part of the project, it's it's more than that. But as far as like mostly like the core tech developers and programmers. I'd oh, say right. That it's, yeah, because there's sort of an open source side to it in a way. So you'll have a large network of people working on it. 
Um, right. We've got people you... like wanting to do marketing stuff, wanting to do this. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's people that are yeah. wanting to do other parts of the thing. But um, but as far as like the core programmers that have kind of been there since the beginning. Um, it sounds like an exciting project. It really does. Um, yes. I can't let you out of this interview without asking you about the huge crash in uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the rise of the CBDC, central bank digital currency. How does that play into all the things we're seeing? Um, I mean, I, I'm not that big on crypto and Bitcoin, but um, I've always been a little bit hesitant of it. I've done a little bit of playing around in the cryptocurrency world, which unfortunately I didn't have too much of anything in there, but unfortunately I'm not, it's, you know, not doing too well these days because I know crypto um, is doing really bad. Bitcoin's doing bad. Um, Ethereum's doing bad. I mean, a lot of them are doing bad. And yeah. I think that it's it's intentional because I think they want to crash it because um, if the U.S. dollar were to crash, um, people would all jump onto crypto, I think. It's like a knee jerk. And maybe they don't want to have that there. Um, but at the same time, the crypto market has always been very volatile. It's just, it's never been that certain of a thing to me. So um, I, to me, it doesn't seem like the best place you'd want to store or hold money in because it could rapidly lose value. It's um, not stable. I guess the trucker revolt proved that when Canada was just like, you know, we're going to lock up all your crypto money. <laughs> right. And that was like one of the reasons why uh, with QUX, why they didn't want to go the whole crypto route. Because some people talked about, why don't you just like make it so that crypto coins can work inside the QUX marketplace? Um, and Q, uh, because like the volatility of crypto, um, that would just be too unstable. So that's why they went the route with the, um, with the, QUX tokens, which is kind of new in a mm -hmm. way that it would be like its own virtual private economy with a token. So the token would inherently have value, right? But I mean, it wouldn't be anything near a crypto current. I like the idea of, you know, having a stable cash in cash out type thing for digital transactions versus, um, something that's more like a stock exchange that's super volatile that just up and down up and down you lose money one day and you know crashes your your, your finances so yeah yeah it's it's a wild ride and um in, a, in many ways people have been sold a false bill of goods with crypto being like hey it's the way out of the fed and all the rest but you're encountering a lot of the same problems um you know, I wanted to ask you, I can't let you out without this one either. Uh, at some point along the way, and I don't remember if it was in relation to that right pat thing, but wasn't there some kind of a UFO whistleblower who was trying to talk to you in the middle of all that? Do you recall this? Oh, yes, I do. What was that all about? Um, and what did he say? <laughs> One of the people who talked to me and what was weird was they were saying something about that Wright Patterson, the Air Force base where they were going to take me to, um, actually had a lot of alien tech there. And um, they were, they actually were inviting, which was weird. They invited me to go to uh, 
the Air Force Base and meet them there and go look at stuff. And I'm like, uh, no. Like, that to me sounded too sketchy. So I'm like, wait a second. What a minute you're telling me that um, they were going to, like, extradite me there <laughs> under the Espionage Act. And the next minute you're saying, hey, why don't you come there and check it out? Da, da, da. I don't know. I mean. No, this is really, it's very unusual approach. It is very unusual. It is um, incredibly unusual, but I mean, the reputation of Wright Pat is so deep in the UFO file that I've always found that little story is so strange. Yeah, it is strange, and I see. For me, I'm a little bit suspicious, so I'm like, "Are you guys just trying to entice me to go there? <laughs> <laughs> Are you just like luring me with some bait? Like, oh, there's some alien tech there, you know, that would be really cool to look at." Um, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of all that, but what's creepy God, to me God. Oh, go is, ahead. I'm sorry. What's creepy to me is the farther you go up the chain of like people in power, money, influence, government officials, whatever, CIA intelligence people, um, the farther you go up there, the more they just openly talk about alien stuff and ufo stuff and that's the weirdest part about it is you know when you're when you're kind of on the outside and the periphery and just like the regular people in society you're like oh you know that's stuff you see on tv it's conspiracy theories and right. um <laughs> i was told about the alien stuff a lot too in hollywood a lot. They talk about aliens a lot there too. And um, I thought, well, these people, because, you know, these people are just part of weird societies and they're kooks. What That's kinds what of things did they say? Um, I don't know how much I want to get into on that. <laughs> um, they just talked about aliens. Like, oh. I'm not kidding you. They talk about aliens. They talk about aliens like being here amongst people. Um, they talked about different types of aliens. Just weird stuff like that. Aliens and military bases and um, stuff like that. Definitely. Absolutely right. fascinating. I, um, I, it's It sounds crazy. Like I don't want to get too much into some of that stuff just because to me it's just wild it's crazy. And I still don't know enough, what to make of it. Yeah. because I've never met any aliens. Like, right. I, unless I see it with my eyes. Yes. Okay. Cause part of me thinks, okay, if they were telling me about that stuff in Hollywood, was that just some kind of like, uh, psyop? Sure. Is that some kind of like, just lie that they tell you? <laughs> like, do they tell people lies to get them to believe something? So they, question their reality, question God, question religion. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm sure that I mean, there are programs exactly like that. You know what I would say though, uh, the guy who mentioned you should come to write Patterson and check this out. Is he the same guy who came to you initially and was like, you're going to be transferred and all this stuff. Is that the same person? Um, associated with the same person. Did you ever hear from them again? No. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. 
<laughs> it's real interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, Millie, no, really weird stuff. Very uh, weird stuff going yeah. on. You know, I'd love to talk to you off camera about sure. some of this stuff. Oh, yes. Stuff. Yes. But some of it just to me, it's just, it's just, unless I see stuff with my eyes, it's hard for me to really, you know, it's like, okay, people say stuff, but I don't know how much of that is just, um, talk. Right. Well, considering how much you're surrounded by psyops in the work that you do, it's, it's a good, it's actually a very good pose to take when dealing with that kind of information. However, uh, crisscrossing with it through those very difficult circumstances and how it came up and how it was raised, uh, there, there's all kinds of interesting implications for that. And I'm sure they knew what they were doing when they talked to you about it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just like, huh? What? And, and they made like a really big emphasis on the alien technology stuff. I don't remember all of what they said either, like, to be honest with you, because it was, it was, there were so many things discussed. It was all information overload. But um, I wish I could remember more on it. Um, there's, there's a recurring theme with this. You know, I've, I've interviewed the former assistant housing secretary, Catherine Austin Fitz, for years on my program. And in 1998, when she was just leaving HUD, um, this, admiral from the navy came to her and said you know i want you involved in this think tank that we're doing and it's all about studying the impact of the public knowing that et is here and she said well i don't know i don't even know if i believe in et and all the rest and he said do you want to have lunch with some aliens and she was like he was totally deadpan blank serious about it but so this is a theme this is a kind of a, a thing uh i noticed at certain points just like your story it's floated out there uh, at certain kind of key points with people. And it does make you wonder both on the reality level and on the PSYOP level. What I can, what I'll tell you is that when I was in the whole Hollywood world and that producer that was said that they were part of OTO also, and was, um, coming after Gavin, <laughs> right. or getting me away from them. Um, that person had a lot of stuff talk about aliens and that's why Gavin had called them back. He's like, you and your alien friends, you know, but he had a lot of really crazy stories about aliens and, and would tell me a lot about aliens and um, would tell me about um, like going to meeting with aliens on military bases down in San Diego. And, um, uh, like that the, there's hybrid aliens and uh, people of different type of alien races and there's like some big war between different alien races over control of the, the planet I kid you not this <laughs> is crazy I don't know I see I still think this is just crazy talk but this is what they were saying. Okay. <laughs> no, I've heard, I've heard these stories a lot. So you're, you're in good company saying this stuff. Yeah. So um, uh, I will like, say this. There, there's a weird OTO alien mix, even with Podesta, who's really into Crowley stuff, but was also deep into pushing the UFO thing. So there's that weird Crowley UFO crossover as well. And uh, that doesn't mean that UFOs have anything to do with that. It means that, you know, the Crowleyite, left hand style schools adopt the ufo thing you know so yeah 
See, what I kind of like after that whole thing went down, the way I kind of justified my experience after the fact, like mulling over what the hell just happened and what was that, <laughs> um, was that I felt like maybe they were trying to get me to believe that that aliens were, you know, the creators of humans and all this other um, so that would then not believe in God anymore. And that that right. would then so uh, shift the whole erase, like, human. Like, yes. Right. To, to erase That's my exactly moral objectivity mean. and make me like, oh, I don't believe in God um, because these people are telling me that aliens are the ones that created humans and all this other stuff. Right. And if you notice, like, OTO, all them, like, research into them. They're Satanists. They worship, like, you know, evil and whatnot. And so I, I, I could see how that could be some kind of way to kind of condition or, or get you to start questioning your religious. Because if somebody's like a Christian, it's not very easy to get them to believe something against what they were uh, brought up with. So that makes sense. But if you shock them with like, oh, there's aliens and da-da-da-da-da, then you can start getting the, the question um, everything. And um, True. Yeah. So I just kind of took it as that was probably just a lot of crazy talk just to try to um, confuse me and be, being young as I was, try to manipulate me in some way. But, um, but then the, what was weird was like years later – you know, going back into it and meeting all these other intelligence sources along the way um, in this crazy political battle that we've all been in and them just telling me all this stuff about aliens. It's just the weirdest thing. It's like, and it's like everywhere you go, like, oh yeah, aliens, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what the hell? This is the weirdest thing ever. Um, so I still don't know what to make of it, to be honest. Like, I'm not, I'm not like some super believer in aliens per se, but I will say there's definitely a lot of talk about aliens. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and you've crisscrossed it in these very kind of crucial places. Yeah. Millie, remarkable experiences, incredible reports uh, that you do, and it, it, the projects are very exciting. Uh, QUX, I hope it does really well. And um, we're going to be looking for your coverage on all the political and deep state activities and shenanigans that are going on. But uh, thanks so much for the work that you do. It's remarkable. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I always love coming on your show. Okay. It's great to see you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And Millennial Millie, is there a website now? Um, MillennialMillie.com. Okay. Fantastic. That's where you go. The reports are on YouTube. Where else are you putting the reports out these days? Um, mostly on millennialmillie.com or YouTube, Millennial Millie, uh, Twitter, Millie Weaver, Facebook, Millennial Millie. Um, you guys could also go to QUXTV, uh, QUX.TV, sorry, um, if you are interested in finding out more about QUX. So. Excellent. I look forward to hearing more about that. And anytime you want to do that off-the-cuff conversation about this stuff, I want to hear that too. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to be like a fair day, fair day <laughs> right. or something. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs>
Millie, incredible research. Wow, what an experience. Of course, everyone can find your work at millennialmillie.com, as you said, uh, along with your weekly reports on YouTube. Just extraordinary. Now, please join us on Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern for the X-Series and at darkjournalist.com. See you soon.